0: A cop who goes undercover in the crime world, a criminal infiltrating the police, the ultimate game of cat and mouse, all of this can only mean one thing, we're comparing infernal affairs and the depotted in this episode of Retro vs. Remake. Bad Boston accents are coming out this episode oh, Reggie.
1: All, all kinds of odds and costs uh, <laughs> I'm Reggie Parker
0: and I'm Dan Bulick welcome to another episode of retro, retro versus, versus remake. remake this is the series where we compare movies and their remakes join us as we answer the question should this remake exist today's films are Infernal Affairs and The Departed Infernal Affairs made in 2002 starring Andy Lau Tony Long Anthony Wong, Eric Tsang, Wan Chi Kong, Sammy Chang, Kelly Chen, and Elva Xiao. Directed by Andrew Lau, not to be confused with the lead actor, Andy Lau, and Alan Mack. Written by Alan Mack and Felix Chong. Music by Chan Kwong Wing. The Departed, 2006, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, Ray Winstone, Vera Farmiga, and Alec Baldwin. Directed by Martin Scorsese. Written by William Monaghan. And music by Howard Shore. Just wanted to mention that he also did the music for another movie reviewed, The Fly, the remake of The Fly. So that's a fun little tidbit there. Okay, what is your first experience with either film, Reggie?
1: First experience with was actually with The Departed, the 2006 film. For You know, if you were... A senior in high school or going into college, you watched The Departed. It was just something that, that the bros did. And I believe Infernal Affairs, after I'd seen The Departed, heard that it was a remake of, a, of this Chinese film, I had Netflix send me a DVD in the mail, and I watched that, and then I sent that DVD back. No, as as one does with the DVD rentals back then. It in was the two thousand six. You know, we all had our, our flogging Molly on, our Dropkick <laughs> Murphys, and, uh, and Netflix was coming into DVDs.
0: I had actually seen The Departed in movie theaters. I'm sorry, I'm gonna keep dropping those bad sorry. Boston accent things. Anyway, yeah, I saw it in theaters. It was my first Scorsese film in theaters. I remember, and I was so excited. And uh, yeah, I remember just like enjoying it a lot and kind of following like what it was doing and like it was the first Scorsese best director Oscar that he won so I remember being excited for him to finally win one for that so yeah I I don't know (laughs) I could I've watched The Departed a lot of times since I'll just leave it at that (laughs) okay Infernal Affairs I had never seen before I'd sort of heard of it I always confuse it I always say Internal Affairs when I reference it instead of Infernal (laughs) Affairs but uh now that I've watched it, I will definitely say it with the right title from now on. Yeah.
1: This this is an aside, but uh, there's a movie I like called El Crimen Ferpecto, and it's a playoff of The Perfect Crime. Good, good Spanish film if you guys ever want to watch that. That's totally an aside, but I get the confusion with titles.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get into comparisons, or before that, let's actually do the synopsis. They pretty much follow the same plot even though the remake is an hour longer (laughs) than the original Uh, i'm sure we'll talk about that in more depth and all the names are changed of course the original being a hong kong film and then the remake being or taking place in boston so none of the characters names are the same so bear with me as i try to give us a plot here the mob boss is declared i'm sorry. The mob boss has decided to infiltrate the police. One of his own, the bad guy, will become a cop and act as a mole. At the same time, the police are having one of their own, the good guy, go undercover in the mob. And so the game of cat and mouse begins, each man acting as a mole and constantly undermining the efforts of the other. The two men are on opposite sides of the same coin. They both rise fast and gain important positions. A big sting operation takes place. The good guy keeps the police informed as the events are occurring. The bad guy is making sure that the mob boss is one step ahead. Ultimately, the sting fails. Both sides realize that they have a mole, and they are both constantly coming up with ways to find the mole. The good guy is told to give the mob boss all his personal information. In a bit of irony, the bad guy has been put in charge of finding the mole in the police. Efforts to find the mole on both sides seem to fail, but the bad guy finally decides to find the mole in the mob by tailing the cop boss. The cop boss then meets up with the undercover cop, and the bad guy informs the mob boss. He sends out his thugs. To keep the undercover guy safe, the police boss tells him to hide while he stays behind. The thugs meet up with the police boss and kill him. The mob boss has gone too far. The bad guy is still trying to find the mole in the mob, and he uses the deceased police boss's phone to contact him. Another sting operation is in place and the bad guy is getting info from the good guy. Things come to a head and there is a huge conflict. The bad guy confronts his mob boss and ultimately kills him. The good cop can now finally stop being undercover. The good cop and bad cop meet. While in the bad cop's office, the good cop sees an envelope only the mole would have. Things reach another head. The good guy has recordings of the mob boss made and will expose the bad guy. The two meet where the cop boss has died. The good cop ultimately arrests the bad cop, and he's decided to arrest him and take him away. While he's doing that, he is shot. Turns out the mob boss had at least two moles in the police. The bad guy, though, takes matters into his own hand and shoots the other bad guy. The good cop has an honorable funeral, and the bad guy's girlfriend leaves him when she realizes who he is. And both movies end their respective ways. Okay. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, that might be one confusing as hell synopsis. Hopefully you have seen at least one of these films. All right. Uh, Like I said before, the remake is an hour longer than the original, but it does pretty much follow the same plot. So I think a good place to start this comparison is just with our leads. And I think we'll start with our sort of good guy lead, our cop who's infiltrated the gang. So we have Tony Long as Chan Wing Yan, and Leonardo DiCaprio as William or Billy Costigan. All right. Why don't you kick off this comparison?
1: Yeah. What I'll say about this is that um, in the original film, *Infernal Affairs, there's a, more of a focus on Tony Long's character, uh, Yan, uh, in terms of sort of the positive attributes of his of his sort of police work. He's more of like a, a standout in terms of really playing things by the book and being sort of exceptional in the sense that he, uh, he's able to notice things like there's a test of how many folders are on the desk and then he notices the uh, his supervisor's socks don't match and stuff like that. So there's, there's more of a focus on what's good about him mm-hmm. <laughs> in the original film. Whereas uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio's Billy Costigan, there's more focus on his, his rough background,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, in terms of just his family history in Boston and different things that go on. And I'll also say this about the remake. There's a bit more focus on some other characters as well, so there's a lot more kind of crosstalk, I would say, in the, uh, in the remake. So excuse me if I get a little <laughs> confused, because as your synopsis shows, it, there's a lot of threads throughout the film. But um, DiCaprio, I mean, they know he's smart. Like, he's got exceptionally good, um, like, whether it's SAT scores or, like, different things going on. And they're all like, why are you trying to be a statey? You know, like, why are you trying to be a cop, man? Like, uh, you got this rough family history, and you, uh, you know, you're too smart for this. So not really sure why you're pretending to be a cop, as uh, Wahlberg's character describes it. Whereas you don't have that much history for Jan. You know, you just kind of know he's an exceptional cadet. It actually reminds me a lot of uh, the Point Break (laughs) Uh, montage with, uh, he, he kind of fits that Cano Reeves style, like square jaw, good cop mold. Um, that was the first thing that jumped out at me. I, uh, how about you?
0: I, I guess yeah. I'll just kind of build on what you said. Um, yeah, they really focus on DiCaprio's sort of his family and just his upbringing and just like all the criminals that he had in his family, especially he keep talking to his Uncle Jackie. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't do that so much with Jan.
1: So I know, because it is confusing, just to pick up there with his Uncle Jack and stuff like that, I think this movie, the remake, does a a good job of kind of how sort of close this Boston sort of families are, like kind of you're a kid from the neighborhood or you're mm-hmm. not. This movie does, I think, a fairly good job of making it plausible that someone that everyone in the neighborhood knew was in the police academy, like, would come back and um not be a cop, you know, like that's... That's sort of a question that's openly out there for him actively. And uh, he does that, you know, with good, you know, police chief sort of character that you mentioned and some other characters. But like they basically have to say, hey, look, we're going to we're going to kick you out of the academy. We're going to send you to jail for a little bit for a believable amount of time. So when you come back, you'll be able to kind of smoothly infiltrate this uh, crime family, as it were. Jan in the original, you, you have a similar thing where it looks like he's dishonorably discharged from the academy. There's more of a connection to sort of characters that wonder why they wouldn't know he's <laughs> what's going on with him, but uh, you know, whatever.
0: And in the original film, Infernal Affairs, Yan kind of knows Lau, or at least Lau knows Yan. So our good guy and bad guy, they kind of know each other at the academy. But you don't get that at all in the remake. DiCaprio and Matt Damon's paths don't really cross until much later in their lives and in the film. But going back to the family connection, yeah, they really focus on that a lot in the remake. And I think that's important because this is something I had a little trouble with in the part. It's just the believability of, like you said, this guy who everybody knows was training to be a cop. And then you're just going to let him into your gang. So I think it was really important for the remake to put emphasis on, like, well, his whole family. They're all criminals. They all know him. Like... One guy mentions, like, his grandma. If your grandma wasn't so nice to me, I'd fucking knock you out right now. So, they really put heavy emphasis on, like, they trusted his family. So, that's more, they're more likely to trust him because of that. Trying to get into that believability. Because if you think about it, if you really think about it, does, do they really need William in their gang in the remake? I didn't really get the sense that he was as essential as Jan was in the original film because they don't really give too much of a timeline in the remake i think he may have been undercover for a year and then joined that gang for maybe a few months but in the original jan has been undercover for about a decade and he's in this crew for years right and you don't see his introduction to the crew you never see anybody be suspicious of him really but you get a lot of that in the remake because we follow william costigan's journey through the academy to jail to joining the gang, and then every time he like progresses along his journey, like everybody's questioning, Are you a cop? Are you a cop? And then it, the mob officer says, You know, I wouldn't put it against the head cop to put you undercover. Like he lays yeah. it out right there. Yeah. So it's like, right. You just said what this guy is, and it's it made it a little harder for me to believe that they would, you know, let their guard down and let this guy in based on knowing who he was. But I guess by bringing in that family connection and then all that trust they have for his family, they're able to let their guard down. And if they didn't have that family connection, there was no way they would let this kid in their crew.
1: Yeah, I think what helps that believability, because, uh, again, because the mob boss basically says, this sounds like something that guy would do. Yeah, (laughs) he
0: says it flat out.
1: It's crazy. I know, know. and and you're right. It's like that question doesn't go away at any point in the film. Like when he first... uh, and a nods original movie, we'll talk about this more, but when he's got the cast on, and he's, he's basically torturing him to be like, mm-hmm. are you a cop? And he's like, I'm not a cop, man. <laughs> and then, you know, there's just so many different times where his, his uh, sort of authority, as it were, is questioned by the gang because it's pretty suspicious. <laughs> you know, it's hard to believe that the rest of the gang would just sit back too and say, mm, yeah, you know, <laughs> I
0: guess you're one of us. We have no yeah. questions about your past. Well, I've
1: known this guy for 10 years, but it must have been you. But, you know, it, like I said, I think part of it is Boston at the time, they do get into a bit of sort of, a, in just the way they introduced the bad guy, they get into the dynamics of different groups, whether it's Italians, Irish people, black people. So, like, he's a kind of good old Irish Catholic guy, you know, um, one of the families in the neighborhood, you know, he's got a reputation for him. So I think that type of dynamic does allow us to recognize they're drawing from a limited pool of kind of thugs that happen to get, you know murdered or you know mm-hmm. other things um constantly um, so you know hey i needed more muscle this is probably not the smartest thing to do the other side of it too is i think we may talk about this as well as we talk about the bad guy he's kind of at this point in his career where he doesn't really give a shit anymore <laughs> like uh so he's like you know in the past i wouldn't trust you at all but eh, i'm <laughs> <a bad D. laughs> i don't know there's just something more more interesting about jan's Sort of character, this idea of being undercover for ten years. Um, I think, in terms of the movie being expedient, as it's not very much because it's two and a half hours. But uh, Hmm. I think they just try to like give us a nice plausible reason why they would trust Billy Costigan Jr., even though everything is kind of like red flag, red flag. I think they they do thread the needle because I think we're nitpicking sort of after fact and after multiple views of this film.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna nitpick a little bit more right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So going back, I'll, I'll start with Jan. because we don't see Jan joining the gang, and we just know that he's been in the gang for as many years as he's been in it. I feel like he's in a higher position um, than William Costigan is, and when he joins the gang, especially since he's been in the gang a lot longer. Like, I feel like Jan is one of, if not the top guy in his gang underneath his boss. But when you're talking about the departed, there's already a number two guy and we'll get to him when we talk about the boss. So Williams role definitely feels like very low on the totem pole. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what he does. Cause you know, he's not murdering anybody. He's kind of there for muscle, but he's kind of sucks at that. Cause he just pops the wrong guy in the mouth anyway. So I'm not fully sure what he does in the gang guess he's kind of back up and maybe some muscle but like i feel like yan has a much more important role he's like ordering guys and his crew around and he's like sampling the drugs you know he's he's really getting gritty there um with his role in the undercover gang but uh william Costigan's like it's kind of a question mark i'm not exactly sure i'm not exactly sure why they take him in because like he just keeps doing all these violent crimes and then Frank's like, all right, I guess I'll take you in my gang. And then I'm not exactly sure what he does once he's in the gang.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that is fair criticism as it were. What the hell could he possibly know? Like, he, he hasn't been in the gang long enough to know different things. Mm-hmm. Um, Yan is, like, he's it's a decade in. He knows the ins and outs. He's mm-hmm. well-trusted by everyone. People don't expect him to be the mole because the guy's been here for 10 years. How, right. How's he the mole, you know? The other side of it too is it makes sense that he knows sensitive information about the gang. Where it also sort of from a psychological standpoint, because that's an element of both films. His sort of tenure is starting to weigh on him because that line between the gangster and cop, after 10 years of doing this, what you know, what is the line? <laughs> who you know, who are you anymore? And that's a big question mark in this um, original film. The Chinese title for the film is kind of more related to this sort of idea of like. Uh, it's a Buddhist concept of, like, it, a continuous hell. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. You know, if you've been doing it for 10 years, like, the longer you're in this, the more torturous this is and the harder it is to to figure out the line. And, you know, he's even in conflict with his superiors because they're like, hey, man, I think you're kind of overdoing it with the beating people up stuff. And he's like, look, dude, I, you know, am I in the gang or am I not in the gang? <laughs> you know, we deal with Leo DiCaprio's, Costigan's psychology, but it's mostly... Like you mentioned, he's he's an observer, so he's seen basically serial killers kill people. It doesn't really make sense to me that there isn't a moment in the film where they're like, "All right, dot dot dot, you're in the gang now, it's your turn." You know, mm-hmm. yeah. one scene with someone handing him a gun and him having to shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. I I think they're trying to the movie's trying to have it both ways, where they keep him kind of like clean from the gang life, so he's there's no ambiguity of whether or not he's our hero here. But uh, it does hurt some elements of the film that I think they're trying to translate for American audiences. And the psychology, he's just on such a shorter window from what we know that it's hard for me to see this affecting him so kind of abruptly. But I mean, look, it's far more violent in this film, but it just, it doesn't track the same way Jan's character does in the original.
0: I kind of see what you're saying. I actually, going back to the psychology of the characters, like Jan's been doing it for a lot longer and it is kind of like messing with him. Like you said, like he's kind of getting into fights and getting arrested more than he should but he doesn't really seem to or he doesn't show so much that it's affecting him kind of in his daily life like he still seems like he's all right and kind of a okay guy to be around but DiCaprio the whole fucking movie man he's just like oh man this is so intense like like DiCaprio doesn't maybe it's a little much but like he's really just like freaking out the whole freaking movie like yeah. and he gets to because it's a lot longer and you spend a lot more time with this character especially when he goes to a psychiatrist i mean that's a big difference between the two characters like uh, jan will go to a psychiatrist he just sleeps there the whole time but dicaprio will go and he'll just kind of like unload on her and just like tell her like all this crazy stuff that's happening to him and like yeah. physically how he's being affected he can't sleep he's vomiting violently he's putting a gun up to his mouth and he wants to blow his brains out like, he can't he can't function he is really having trouble with the duality of being you know this undercover guy and who he really is kinda and uh I don't know that aspect of DiCaprio's performance I thought was really captivating and I really enjoyed that I know it's not as long as Jan was doing it for it but I just, I just felt like this guy is really tormented and <laughs> this guy's not having any fun and it's just like, I really feel bad for this guy and I hope it works out in the end for him. Spoilers, it doesn't. But, you know, it's he really conveyed that whole, like, internal battle of, like, who am I really? And uh, I really, I thought that was really fun to watch.
1: I think that, um, yeah, from a purely cinematic place, yes, I think he, it's one of the strengths of the film that Caprio's able to play this sort of, like, this manic kind of line where, you know, He's okay a little bit, but then, like, it's getting, you know, it just feels like things are getting claustrophobic for him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it is too much. It is too much to have a guy sit there and, like, you know, have to know that they're looking for him because that comes becomes apparent earlier and, uh, and more impactful, I think, in The Departed than it does in uh, Infernal Affairs. Mm-hmm. They really translate in The Departed that I am now in danger because <laughs> the, you guys have a mole, so, like, they're looking for me. And he's trying to navigate this, uh, this turf. And I just think that the violence portrayed in The Departed makes it much more immediate, the danger mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. he's in. You know, there, there's violence in both films. But, like, DiCaprio, early in the film, is already tortured by Frank. Frank <laughs> is who we'll talk about. Frank is constantly threatening his life. Other people in the gang are threatening his life. And it's just this thin line he has to walk. And if he doesn't, it, it doesn't work. I'll also note that I think, to your point about the psychiatrist, I think those scenes work extremely well because they've shown how smart Billy Costigan Jr. is. Like, he really shouldn't be a cop. is, <laughs> But, you know, like you said, in the neighborhood, you're Irish, you're either a cop or a fire, you know, something like that. <laughs> no, excuse me, a cop or a priest. I don't know, like, he's able to spar mentally with the psychiatrist as well. He's like, what's so special about you? You know, you come in here, like, I am t- told you I'm trying to kill myself anyway. You're just going to give me like come you're on gonna, doc you're gonna Don't close my file
0: is that what you're gonna, you're gonna do over there <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's, yeah i mean dicaprio's portrayal is, is very strong And i think yeah although the circumstances are different the portrayal is extremely strong in departed
0: yeah i mean i'm gonna say this i'm gonna say this a few times if you're gonna make your movie an hour longer you better have an interesting character and you know, DiCaprio is able to make William Costigan very interesting, so mm-hmm. it's a little on the long side, but at least you know it's enjoyable to watch him kind of deal with that
1: the whole time. Yeah, yeah even even with the length, I think uh, the pacing is good, and I think what helps is they have, a, in many ways, by design, they have a lot more ground to cover mm-hmm. than that original film. Do you want to talk a little bit about our kind of mole? Uh, in yeah, we sports? can go on to the other guy. Yeah.
0: All right, so we have Andy Lau as Senior Inspector Lau-Kin Ming, and Matt Damon as Colin Sullivan. I'd say these characters are much more different than our sort of good guy undercover cops were much more different portrayals and just kind of almost different kind of character arcs in each film. I'll start with Inspector Lau. When you're introduced to him, you know, he's a a young kid, maybe a teenager. He's there with his mob boss, just learning that, oh, I'm going to be trained to go undercover. And it's pretty similar to Matt Damon. You're also introduced to him as a young kid.
1: I think the choice of The Departed sort of going along that journey with Matt Damon's character, just from being a young kid, seeing this um, mob boss kind of in his maybe prime at that point, and this plan that gets laid out. It's interesting to see him kind of go from this pathway of like being more or less a good kid to... Actually, you know, Frank, the mob boss, recognizing that and saying, all right, look, we're going to keep you on kind of the straight and narrow, but you work for me. And seeing kind of how that progresses in the film was, uh, I think it was powerful. And I think think it allowed the film to sort of do Matt Damon's character and then refocus more on Billy Costigan later. It's like, yeah, we know enough about Colin Sullivan. uh, There's not much more ground we need to... uh, to observe outside of like how the moles in both worlds uh, interact with each other. So I think it was a really clean way to introduce multiple characters at once and give, uh, Colin this sort of strong foundation. Whereas Lao, I don't know, like it's, I guess the plan's more obvious, you know, it's obvious what the mob boss is doing. Cause he's basically telling us mm-hmm. what he's doing. Uh, in this moment, they're all at the temple. He's like, you know, praying to the Buddha and, uh, Explaining, you know, how you stay being kind of like the boss, how you forge your own pathway, and like you mentioned, we see Lao Young, and it doesn't really matter much what he does uh, from there because we know he's going to end up in the police force. But uh, I did want to note that for the departed, I thought the Colin Sullivan intro weaves this storyline cleanly without having a guy do basically just exposition of what's happening.
0: They are serving the same roles; they're kind of they're the inside guy for their mob boss. But I would say. One of the portrayals seems like a a little bit stronger of a character And I'm gonna give that to Lau in Infernal Affairs He just seems like he's a little more capable I'll just give an example There's the scene where they're trying to figure out who the mole is So Lau's talking to his boss on the phone Lau just goes, alright, this is what I need you to do I need you to just get me the names and information of everybody And I need you to meet me here And then the mob boss is like, okay, sure I'll meet you there, okay, no problem You got Colin Sullivan doing the exact same thing and then his boss is like, wait, what the, What did you just say to me? You're telling me to do something? You don't tell me to do anything. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah. So Colin Sullivan, yeah, not quite the strong character that Lau is. And that's by design, I guess. He's sort of more pathetic uh, between the two characters just his interactions with a bunch of different characters in the movie like people are constantly talking down to him he has bedroom issues with his girlfriend you know yeah. a, all these small little things to, to kind of knock him down and kind of like giving us this view that okay he's I'm, he's not somebody i'm supposed to root for cuz people are constantly knocking him down he definitely seems like more of a bad guy so yeah this is the guy i'm going against cuz other characters are kind of getting into him as well you don't get so much of that with lao he runs into a little bit of friction after the head inspector cop dies, but even that is kind of easily resolved once he, he's like kind of lays out his his gambit that he's talking to the undercover guy, mm. so he definitely is more pathetic <laughs> in the remake, and uh, it's it's still an interesting character, but it's just a, a small difference that we have there.
1: I think you're right that the movie is. Doing it the service of uh, explaining to us that he's not like he's not the guy you're rooting for. Like uh, he's, he's kind of a weasel, you know, as it were. Like he he fits the moniker of rat a lot better mm-hmm. than um, other people. Uh, to your point about Lau, I do I do agree with you that he just seems to have his shit together. Like he's actively figuring things out about the mole in a way that like Selvin really isn't. A lot mm-hmm. of things are being sort of handed to him, whether it's from you know, the FBI guys or whether it's from his his mob boss, as it were. Whereas like Lao's like sitting there and he's like, Wait a minute, this guy's tapping, he's like, Morse code. Right. Morse code. Hey, look for a guy, you know, and like he's giving real like information that because he's there because he's smart, you know. Mm-hmm. Um Sullivan isn't really there because he's smart, is he? He's kinda there because that was the plan. They kinda keep Pulling strings in the background, even when he's like the guy that's supposed to look for the mole. I know why Lau is the guy that's supposed to look for the mole because he's like, <laughs> you know, he really comes across as a capable, respected police officer. Sullivan, not so much, man. I mean, like, yeah. like you said, there's a lot of friction people, people that don't like him, people that are kind of clowning him throughout the film. Like you said, uh, just even a relationship with the mob boss, it doesn't feel mutual. It just feels like the mob boss is running the show and. Matt Damon better figure it out. Even even if he's telling you, don't do this, this is bad. <laughs> in the original film, Sam, you know, boss Sam would be like, no, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, guys, I'm not looking good. Let's get out of here, you know? You don't get that same courtesy. He's like, I don't <laughs> give a fuck. <laughs> it's like, you figured out, it's your problem. So there, there is a huge difference there. You're right. Like you mentioned too, even so early in a relationship with the, the bedroom problems and stuff like that, because anytime we can take a dig at the southern character... Mm-hmm. The movie does it, and I think it does serve the purpose of making him more unlikable. That helps us with Costigan, because we have a clear line. One person, although he's mm-hmm. in a bad situation, clearly is showing more, conversely, he's showing more moral integrity than the guy who's supposed to be a cop, who's like, he's a scumbag, mm-hmm. classic comeback. And uh, Costigan's language about cops and stages and stuff like that mm-hmm. reinforces that, too. Like he, know, he knows they're dirty. That's why he's even there in the first place all the cops are dirty
0: yeah the remake does a really good job of drawing uh clear line this is the good guy this is the bad guy the original doesn't so much inspector lao he kind of has a a bit of a character arc where he's not entirely sure that he wants to keep going with this life of crime it's an interesting turn uh i didn't see that coming because i'd seen the departed first well first off we get in the beginning of the movie after like I said Yan and him were in the academy together after Yan gets kicked out he's like who wants to be like ex-cadet ex-cadet Yan over there and then he kind of mumbles himself like I do and then we kind of get that again at the end of the movie even after he's sort of the cause for his death and uh, I just thought that was interesting like I never thought at all like in the departed that oh maybe Colin's gonna be a good guy turn new leaf like i, I never got that especially right. just like you said like all the other characters just kind of like shitting on him and pointing us like oh this is clearly the bad guy you don't get that with inspector lao um you know he makes a decision <laughs> he consciously makes the decision to turn against his boss and ultimately just i'm gonna be a good guy now it kind of blows up in his face because his girlfriend finds out the information but even then he's like I'm going to prove to you uh, that I'm i this good guy. I'm going to turn a new leaf. It, this is what I want to do from now on. And I, was, I wasn't I was ready for that, you know, seeing haven't seen The Departed and knowing that Colin's just like this bad guy. And I thought that was an interesting turn for his character. And it's an arc, unfortunately, not fully explored because Infernal Affairs is a trilogy. So I'm sure it's explored a lot more in those films. But it was still an interesting decision and something that you don't have in the remake.
1: Yeah, and you know, in a, in a lot of ways, that arc ties back because like, you see this character who, as a young man, has been picked out by this uh, this mob boss amongst you know other people in this this gang, and the boss is kind of explaining why he's the boss. It's like you know, thousands had to die for Caesar, millions you know, this... had to die. <laughs> yeah, millions, exactly, millions had to die for Caesar to be great and all this stuff and like. When he does have that arc, ultimately, which we'll discuss further, there's a line in there about, like, you choose your fate, you know, you get to choose your fate. And Lau is saying, look, you know, people got to go for Caesar to be great. And (laughs) uh, it flips it. It flips it. It's like, it's not about you anymore. It's about me. And this is the type of character that has the ability to make that turn, to recognize the error of his ways. Sullivan is just much more compromised, and he doesn't have the moral integrity to make that type of turn and again i think i think there are reasons for this because honestly when it comes to storylines like this i think in general american audiences like a little bit of clarity and resolution Mm -hmm. you know there's a way to play with it in the party like that but there's one major difference uh, between the films that i'm sure we'll discuss is there are a lot of kind of star power in a lot of places and you it makes you wonder like who am i supposed to focus on here (laughs) um because there's just so many people that like well that guy could be in a movie by himself that guy could be in a movie by himself and we get to see more characters kind of like go off and have these big monologues or strong scenes um infernal affairs is a a much sort of tighter film when it comes to its leads they you know don't even really explore the mob boss as much which Mm -hmm. we'll discuss um so it i think that it allows that film to stay so sort of uh, compact. You know, that's why the film is shorter. And like you mentioned, it probably gets uh, fleshed out along that trilogy. But um, no, was a, a great character. And, and I think both films kind of pull off this idea that the moles, as they were, have parallels to them. But um, to your point, like when Lao says, I want to be like Yan, because he recognizes Yan is, is a good man. and he does get the chance to try to redeem himself, Mm -hmm. at least as far as we know so far. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right, I mean, I have nothing to add. I really think we got to get into the mob boss because we keep dropping these mob bosses. All right, so we got Eric Sang as Han Sam and Jack Nicholson as Francis, Frank Costello. And I'm also going to throw in uh, Ray Winstone as Arnold French, Frank Costello's number two, a character we don't really have in Infernal Affairs.
1: Going back to what I was saying before, Han Sam is—he is a personality. He's—he's he's a, you know, brash sort of large in life character. He is—he is smart because he has all these sort of things in place, and like, he knows like, look, I'm not, if I'm gonna go to the war with the police or anything like that, I need people on the inside. So his goal is very apparent early on, and what we do know about him is that his plan is more overarching, at least as we know. From the beginning of the film Because I mean There's a gang of Eight to ten kids right there And he's like You're all gonna be cops <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Alright And uh, you work for me Don't forget you work for me um, He is a violent character He is uh, a charismatic character But he's not in the film that much You know no. Kind of there at the beginning In that drug bust And then sort of Sporadically throughout Kind of trying to figure out This mole situation But we don't see him Occupying a lot of film space Because it's it's Jan and Lau that we spend most of our time with. The departed. You know. <laughs> look, we spent some money on Jack Nicholson. We're gonna get some <laughs> Jack Nicholson. This Frank Costello character from the beginning of that film. This character makes a mark because he he's got some uh, he's got some zingers and he got he has some quotes very early on. <laughs> you, you see that you know, the start in Boston and he he's telling this sort of anecdotal thing about <laughs> like uh no, the black chappies what they don't understand. Is that, uh, <laughs> and he uses some other words in there. He yeah, has some uh, racial slurs here and there. He does. But, like, he's basically defining himself as, I've seen this before. I've seen the Italians try to do this. I've seen black people try to do this. As Irish people, you know, in a short amount of time, we got an Irish man in the White House. You got to take what you want. Don't take shit from nobody. And also, is that a teenage girl? You have your period yet? <laughs> Just checking. I'm unlikable. <laughs> He's a monster. <laughs> he's a caricature monster, man. I want to hear your take on this. <laughs> I
0: mean, it's it's Jack Nicholson, right? I, I feel like Scorsese is like, you can just do whatever the fuck you want, <laughs> okay? Jack just chew up the scenery. Uh, every time Jack's on screen, he's a monster presence. You're just fixated on him. Yeah, he's saying crazy shit. He's doing crazy shit. He's and definitely compared to Sam, he's a much more violent mob leader for sure. We see him get his hands dirty. Uh, literally, he's covered in blood <laughs> in portions of the movie. Yeah. He's dealing with severed limbs. You see him executing people. You just see him getting like really gritty. And you don't really see Han Sam doing too much to get his hands dirty. You don't really see him doing anything violent or physical. He's just kind of calling the shots. And What I really, really remember Sam doing is he's eating a lot. I just remember like, yeah. he's, he's just eating a lot, talking to people, and eating, and I don't even recall him really raising his voice in anger or anything like that i mean jack nicholson yes (laughs) he's gonna chew up the scenery and you know just get mad and yell at people you know it's jack being jack and uh he he delivers (laughs) what else can i say
1: no like han sam is meticulous i think is a way i put it like he has this professional veneer it's like they know he's he's up to something but they just can't make it stick in a way that's uh, more because he does have this sort of persona. He can go to the police station and, like you mentioned, eat a meal and sit there kind of respectfully. He's like, hey, guys, you got nothing. You know, like he, he says that. And the one time I remember him getting rattled is, you know, he's making fun of the cops because he's like having a meal there. And the guy's mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, that meal just cost you $150,000. And he gets mad and he's like, you know, why would I shake hands with a dead guy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you
0: ever see anybody uh, shake a corpse's hand? That was, a, that was it, a good line.
1: That was a great line. Great line. And uh, the parameters are very, in a movie that can get complex, the parameters are very straightforward. You know, it's like, Han and his guys, we know you're looking for us. We're not going to give you any evidence. The cop's like, "Uh, we're going to get you. And he's like, all right, let's see what happens. It's much more pulled back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is violence, there's shooting and stuff like that, but like, it's not nearly what you've seen in the party where like you mentioned, Jack Nicholson just talking with a, a severed hand, you know, his kind of approach to not getting caught is more sort of like strong-arming people, you know, getting rid of the evidence by like killing people and stuff like that. His hands are directly dirty in a way that uh, they don't necessarily have to be, but, you know, I think it's a character trait of this mm, guy. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson, like you mentioned, pulls it off perfectly. He's got this manic look in his eyes. Uh, he's snorting coke. He's, <laughs> uh, he's being very reckless in a way that we don't see from uh, Boss Sam. Yeah, we definitely
0: got a lot more insight to Frank Costello's life. Than we do with sam like i don't really know what sam does for fun or anything or like you know tries to have a good time like i know co- you know cocaine i know frank costello likes to do cocaine and bang chicks two at a time i know he likes to do that for fun and he likes to antagonize priests with uh fun drawings he does at restaurants yeah. but uh you don't really know who sam is so much as he's just like the guy in charge but you get a pretty good idea of who Frank Costello is. Just, again, we have a longer run time. We get to mm-hmm. spend a lot of time with him. You keep mentioning, like, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to do these things. He does say, at one point, like, he doesn't even need the money. He doesn't right. really even need women anymore, but he just keeps doing it because, you know, he likes it. So, um, yeah, you just get a lot more time with Jack Nicholson, and he does all this crazy shit, and he's a really memorable character. And they def- I, I definitely think, like, Martin Scorsese just kind of lets him do his own thing. There's this one scene where, like, he's drawing a picture of a rat, and then he's, like, tr- he's talking to Will. He's trying to like, who, who who do you think's the rat? Are you the rat? And then, like, he leaves, and then he comes back, and, like, is kind yeah. of like, shh, don't, don't let him know I'm here. He's kind of, like, fucking around. Like, I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the script. I'm, I'm pretty sure Jack Nicholson's just like, I'm going to do a thing. Let's roll yeah. with it. Yeah. So, you know, and it's Jack Nicholson. So, yeah, let's, let's do this. So, Jack's having fun. He's... Definitely just like <laughs> you're fixated on him the whole time he, you see him on screen. So it's definitely a memorable character, more memorable than Sam.
1: Yeah. And you know, you take a guy who, like, you know, Jack Nicholson's an old older man and Frank Cassell's an older man. But like, even uh, at one point, Coskins, like, getting older, how are you going to maintain power? One of these guys going to pop you one day. And, and you know, Jack, he doesn't care. <laughs> he mm-hmm. doesn't care. Should he be running drugs at this point in his career? Absolutely not. You're selling microprocessors to the Chinese and then you still want to sell uh, bags of Coke. It's like, I think at a certain point you want to kind of elevate your criminal enterprise. In fact, by elevate, I mean, you shouldn't be directly involved at all (laughs) at this point. But um, no, that's the life that he lives. I think we learned a key difference here as part of his brazenness is that he actually goes a level above Boss Sam and he's connected through the FBI. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole... Another can of worms <laughs> that you got to start to unpack. So the mole for the mole is, doesn't know that he's working for a mole for the feds. Yeah. And it's just like, there's a lot of levels to it. Part of, I think, what happened with this portrayal as well is there's, a, there's actually a real life figure in Boston crime called uh, Whitey Bulger, who had a similar story. He was this mob boss in Boston for years. Turns out he was working for the feds most of his career. So I think they took a bit of that real-world story and mixed it into kind of, you know, whether it's drawing interest for the film or, you know, making it relatable for different people. They actually added that element. It gets messy, but to your point, I don't think they care. Uh, I don't think that Scorsese cares that Jack Nicholson comes back for a cigarette and, you know, like you said, <laughs> pushing behind people. Or, I, you know, I feel like a lot of these lines are ad-lib, like when he was like, hey, don't come up until you're numb, you know, like all this <laughs> stuff. All this stuff feels like, like the the face he's making uh, before he does that thing in that scene. Um, uh, he's making a rat face. Yeah, 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 exactly. Chewing up that scenery.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's a fucking off kilter, enthralling portrayal. I mean, I think a lot of what makes the movie work is the fact that like a DiCaprio figure and a Jack Nicholson figure can give you this this grit and like cause all this tension. There's not there's nothing going on but two guys talking, but you know what this one guy is capable of and you know how vulnerable the other guy is. And it's just like, oof. I don't know how it's going to work out for a a boy, Billy Costigan. And you know, his freak out. uh, Although I said earlier, it's a little early in his career to be freaking out so much. Not really when you work for this guy, (laughs) (laughs) scary shit,
0: man. Yeah. Yeah. I want to just talk a little bit about the relationship of the mob bosses to our two lead characters. I'll start with the mole and the police. So we already kind of touched upon this. I'll start with uh, Sam and his relationship with Lau. We already kind of mentioned that, like, you know, Lao is pretty capable, undercover mole, like kind of figuring stuff out for himself and, you know, telling Sam. And Sam, pretty respectful of it, you know, like, all right, you're giving me good advice. I will listen to you. And like we said before, Jack Nicholson gets it. any back talk or anything that just sounds like it's an order from Matt Damon. He's going to come right back at you so um, definitely a more equal relationship in the original than we than what we have in the remake but I really want to focus on the undercover cops so Sam and Yan their relationship I said this before I feel like Yan is definitely one of the higher guys if not maybe Sam's number two just because he's been there for so long and he's sort of like ordering other guys around occasionally and he even kind of says to him at one point he's like i trust you the most mm-hmm. so it's a pretty strong relationship that they have even though they don't have too much screen time together and then frank costello and william costigan they do have a lot of time together but i don't feel like costigan's as high up as yan was just because we have this other character who i'm going to mention now we have arnold french portrayed by Ray Winstone, and this guy is Frank's number two, and he's a, he's a fun character, he has some fun moments, but his inclusion definitely downplays the importance of bringing in a Will Costigan. Like I said before, I wasn't exactly sure, like, what Will's role was, or, like, why they really needed that guy, and having somebody, like, French, who's more than capable and completely loyal, it really does sort of question like well yeah what what is William doing there because it seems like we got everything covered so I don't really
3: yeah
0: I don't really I don't believe in the relationship even though they spend a lot more time together it's I just feel like it's not as strong as Sam and Yans in Infernal Affairs
1: yeah I think that's really fair you're absolutely right there's no equivalency here I mean William is basically the lowest level guy on the team Mm -hmm. he's expendable. I think maybe that's part of the reason why he's so nervous all the time. But, uh, I, I, you know, I kind of go back to what real information is he able to provide at this point in the career And kind of like loosely this is what the deal is and this is where we're going. <clears throat> well, I mean, look they spend so much time tailing this guy What, you know, what's the difference at this point? Yeah, Yan is, he's up there. He's He has successfully infiltrated a criminal enterprise to the point where you're right. He is a heartbeat away from being in charge of it which then you know that you got some questions about what that what that means for all this grand scheme of things i mean these guys have spent so many resources to find this one man and yan is like a big big part of that equation look uh cosigan was in jail four months ago you know not even like i i just don't get it like uh and i think to your point too with french he had to convince french to even be there in the first place before we even get to the mob boss. It's mm-hmm. like, what are you, are you period? You know, you got to do all this stuff with, uh, with French. And again, it does undermine. Cause like, what about French? Like what, <laughs> what's he doing to stop this mole and stuff like that? So you have this strong, interesting character that is doing all the heavy lifting for the mob boss. And Costigan's just kind of like, all right, I guess I work for this guy. He, yeah. He didn't, he didn't really work for the mob boss directly at this point. So, it It's a huge difference um, I think that the strong character portrayals Carry the film along But it, right. it is a, a character that I like That to your point though Actually sort of hurts the Kind mm-hmm. of point of him even being there You know yeah. like it doesn't Why why is he there other than to be kind of like another gangster Well like Frank Cassell is a gangster All the other mob guys we don't spend a lot of time with They're gangsters I think if you spent a little bit less time with French Maybe it would have worked better But uh mm-hmm. To your point, though, because of the timeline, Koskin is not, he's a grunt. So, right. you know, he's a grunt and Yan is almost a boss. Huge difference. Yeah, and
0: so, like, you got French, you know, he's an executioner. He'll kill anybody for Frank and, you know, Will doesn't. He kind of mentions, like, I'm not a killer or something later. And it's like, why are you trusting this kid so much? And then not only just, like, trusting him but, like, I'm going to leave my and my lawyer is going to make sure you get them when I die because I trust you the most even though you're the newest guy in the crew kind of the most untested guy in my crew so you know the character portrayals are fantastic and they kind of distract you from like these small little questions like oh yeah Yeah. why is that relationship so tight if he already has this sort of established relationship with this other character in his crew so you know just nitpicking things that I noticed on this run that I didn't notice
3: before. Yeah,
1: and and I think it's because *Infernal Affairs*. Although, like again, both movies are basically doing the same thing. Inferno Affairs* keeps the the package a little, like I mentioned before, yeah. compact. Uh, we don't branch out into other departments. We don't branch out into this double mole situation. Like it's not laid out like that. So you know, our questions aren't there for that film because that film coverage tracks when it comes to questioning. You know, the dynamic here. This remake, I mean, it just uh. You know, I guess they knew his dad, so they have a soft spot for the kid, but mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense that you're risking your entire criminal enterprise. Yeah. I, I would even, you know, say, like, hey, kid, why don't you take a couple weeks off? Here's a couple dollars. We'll see you when, when we're done with this uh, this deal. That makes sense to me. He brings no real added muscle to this equation, so um, it's not worth the risk. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. Just differences, and to your point, if you stop and think about some of the things in the party, you know you can you can find flaws like that in Mm -hmm. the way they've translated the story
0: yeah true i mean that's all i got really to say about our mob bosses maybe we should go to our lead cop in each film sure so we have anthony wong as superintendent wong chi shing in infernal affairs and then we have martin sheen as captain oliver queenan and i'll also throw in his associate Mark Wahlberg as Sean Dignam.
1: So, S.P. Wong, as it were, um, he's, I don't know, in a similar way, and I guess it's because these, uh, the way these character portrayals go along, S.P. Wong's a pretty kind of straightforward character. He is the lead cop, and he's clearly sort of respected in the group, and there is a little bit of tension with him and Lau in the sense that, like, S.P. Wong is the guy who could figure out that Lau is, you know, causing trouble, in the group but um it's not really a lot to talk about uh he you know he meets up with our lead from time to time and he he kind of questions in some ways like um if this guy is still you know operating properly Mm -hmm. you know 10 years in but there is still that hesitancy to pull him out of the the field as well because of you know that investment it's a very like nuts and bolts like you know i know the mole I'm in charge, and then you know ultimately what happens with SP Wong versus this uh, Martin Sheen's character Oliver Queen, and who is occupying the same role. But again, because this is a film with basically uh, everyone doing their best, like character acting, <laughs> we, get, we get more about him and in, in the relationship with Costigan is more apparent. He, you know, I believe him when he feels directly responsible for putting his life in danger. In fact, uh, I think they almost, in a way, do this good cop, bad cop thing. Yeah. With, yeah.
3: yeah I was going <laughs> to go say that.
1: <laughs> with, uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg screaming in in his face, and you're no fucking cop. And, like, <laughs> you know, leaning into him is like, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how good you are, you got a bad background, you're never going to be a cop, we're not going to let it happen. And uh, Oliver Queenan being sort of the more gentle hand mm-hmm. that says, you know, I, look, uh, I knew your father, Jackie, uh, <laughs> you know, um, He's a, he's a good, straightforward Catholic man who has integrity and morals, and he does, in some ways, he plays more of a father figure mm-hmm. to Costigan uh, versus, like, the the connection in the other film where, you know, he's just he's your boss. It's, yeah. it's different.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could almost say that they are almost the same roles, the Queen Anne and the Wong, but the introduction of Dignum really <laughs> uh, <laughs> just... just makes such a huge contrast like you have dignum this hard ass who you can never please and you're just always gonna butt heads with and then you got Queenin, who's like no no it's it's okay come here i'm gonna take care of you it's gonna be okay so you get this warmth from Queenin that you just you can't get from Wong because he doesn't have anybody to play off of really right. he did have somebody in the beginning of the film when yan was first in the academy you know that there was two guys but then you find out 10 years later, kind of when Infernal Affair starts, that the other guy has passed away. So Wong is all on his own, and he's the only guy that knows Yan is undercover, as opposed to the remake where we have Queenum and Dignum. There are two guys. And uh, yeah, it is sort of that good cop, bad cop dynamic, but you know that they're both like on the up and up. There's nothing corrupt about these guys. Mark Wahlberg's Dignum's just a bit more of a hard ass, and it's a fun dynamic, I mean, they the characters work and I think they work even better together just having those two side by side, Queenum and Dignum. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is, this might be my favorite Mark Wahlberg performance in his whole career, better than fucking uh, Dirk Diggler too, man. I mean, he's just, he's just hilarious as Dignum in this movie.
1: I mean, he just jumps out immediately in that portrayal. Like I said, I, I think out of all the quotes from this movie, you know, fucking cop is the one that I've heard from more people than anything, more than the cranberry juice, (laughs) more than all that. And, I mean, Wahlberg is just, he's so strong there. And kind of what we were saying before about people sort of dunking on uh, Sullivan, Mark Wahlberg is our our key role in, like, punching him out, calling him a (laughs) a pussy, (laughs) you know, just all this this stuff. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is, I, I agree with you, I think this may be one of his, if not his strongest role. And he's basically uh, a side character, but like what he does to Martin Sheen's character, as you mentioned in the elevation, is right there. And you know he's the the tough medicine you got to swallow. And you know Martin Sheen is more of the the spoonful of sugar, as it were. But like together, you know you know these guys can get things done because you got Dingham there. That guy's mm-hmm. a bulldog. He's gonna you know he doesn't take anybody's shit. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful in that sense that he knows that you mentioned there's two characters that know. Um, who the mole is, Mm -hmm. that they work together and they protect each other in a lot of ways, and it makes it more, let's just say, interesting. Yeah, so that what we know ultimately happens to S.P. Wong and uh, Captain um, Queenan, you know, there's someone else there to be upset, you know? Mm -hmm. I think in the original film, so just to get to where I'm getting at, there's a point where the mole has to urgently meet with uh, with S.P. Wong and the captain, you know, because... Uh, circumstances happen. There's a mole on that side. He, they're looking for kind of a, a way out. And, you know, this uh, this police sort of boss, as it were, is like, I understand, I understand. I'm going to help get you out. But meanwhile, our, our mole has started tracking the captain, you know, or the, the SP, because he knows that's the only way he's going to figure out who this mole is. So th- when you have this moment where, they're, where the captain more or less um, – sacrifices himself to get his mole out of there, and more so because in both films he gets tortured before getting thrown off of a building. Everyone's pissed off in in Infernal Affairs just because he's such a respected guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it, It's such a shock to the system, and it is the bridge too far for our, our mob boss in that film. Even more so in the remake, because Dingham, who directly works with him and respects him the most, is like... Oh, hell no. Like <laughs> Something something stinks. We're going to figure it out. He's literally throwing punches at Matt Damon because he doesn't trust this guy and he mm-hmm. doesn't like him. And it, it puts things into perspective and, and frames things in a way where it's, it's like, all right, you, yeah, you've gone too far because now Dingham is ready to you know, collect names. And it just elevates that scene even more in the remake. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I agree with a lot of that stuff. And I just want to go back to sort of the implications of not having two characters in the original because Mm -hmm. wong's the only person who knows yan's true identity he's kind of fucked (laughs) after he gets killed nobody knows he's a cop maybe his shrink kind of but you know what authority does she have (laughs) in the police force she has none so it really raises the stakes for yan in the original because he's going to keep going he's pretty much a renegade cop at this point because he nobody knows who he is and he he might as well. He could just. All right, I'm not a cop anymore. I'll just keep working for Sam the whole time. But yeah. uh, he really kind of takes matters into his own hands. He's like, no, I'm gonna. I'm gonna finish this for Wong. You know, Wong was. You know, they kind of touch on that he was like a sort of a father figure. You know, he's not in there a lot, but we do kind of get like some flashbacks mm-hmm. after Wong dies. So he was pretty important to Yan. Um, so he's off on his own, giving his character a lot of agency yeah, um, yeah, that yeah, you don't really have with Costigan, because yeah, Queen is dead. You still do have Dignum, who, even though he's kind of suspended, you know, two weeks with pay. <laughs> <laughs> World needs plenty yeah. of bartenders! <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I really like that scene. Right. Yeah, so you, you still have Dignum, so you know Costello's not completely on his own, even right. though Dignum's suspended, So, but he's still going to kind of keep going even though he, he's not able to get in touch with dignum so costigan still has to go out on his own to figure out who the mole is and to capture the mole but it's just um he, there's always that backup you know there dignum's somewhere out there so he's not right. completely on his own so it gives it gives the just a little more agency than costigan
1: i agree and because of the differences in the films once this happens like it like you mentioned Yan sort of snaps into uh in the kind of like overdrive, starts figuring things out, starts laying out this plan. And I think it it translates a a little bit better in the uh, Inferno Affairs, just because, like you mentioned, Yan does what he has to do because there's there's no safety net. So Mm -hmm. uh, like you mentioned, Renegade Cop, he's much more careful in his planning and stuff like that, Uh, I think both of them are, but Yan, it just, again, I think it translated better. And it makes him a stronger character in the end as well and from sort of what we learn throughout the film at that point like um, as the film progresses there is that sort of respect factor between lao and yan i think part of, part of the way he handles things from there are, are an aspect of that as well um just the fact that he was able to so kind of cleanly up in lao's life <laughs> pretty much by himself <laughs> yeah first there's you no know, costigan who you know he's got to rely on different people whether it's a psychiatrist whether it's uh, Dingham and stuff like that, it, you're right. It gives him this slight, slight bump. I agree.
0: All right. I mean, I'm good with the all the cops and the bosses, and if you want to keep going with characters, sure. All right. Sure. So let's move on to the love interests in the original Infernal Affairs. We have a few love interests. We have Sammy Chang as Mary, that's Lau's fiance. We have Kelly Chen as Lee Som Yi, that's yan's psychiatrist we have elva xiao as may that's yan's ex-girlfriend who probably also had his daughter that was probably explored explored more in the later films and then in the original that's all consolidated to one character and that is i'm sorry and then in the departed that's all consolidated to one character vera formiga making a return from our uh, Manchurian Candidate episode. Uh, definitely Manchurian. has a lot more to do here than she did during that movie. <laughs> She's got to work, it's... Reggie. Overtime. Overtime. To, there it is.
1: I, I like it. I like it. Just to lead off here, one of the remake strengths is this consolidation. It just is. I would say, at best, we need two of these characters <laughs> in the original film. Now, to your point, to give them leeway and credit here this is a trilogy so as you mentioned i'm sure the ex-girlfriend is more fleshed out and stuff like that like you know like you mentioned they play off the fact that she probably that is yan's kid because when he asks how old is she they haven't seen each other seven years you're like well she's five and then when yan's gone the the daughter's like mommy i'm six it's like (laughs) shut up (laughs) (laughs) nothing to talk about the psychiatrist like yeah you know cool that she's there but he's asleep throughout most of it there's not much addition there and uh mary who i think actually is probably the most important of yeah, the love interest definitely. being Lau's fiance, and the fact that she's doing sort of this symbolism <laughs>
0: symbolism uh, or just laying out the story
1: <laughs> laying out the story basically the symbology of her book that she's writing for some reason about a person with 28 different character personalities and Ultimately, is her character good or bad? That she has to be determined, right? For me, it's just, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, all right. She's a psychiatrist. Ding, she's dating Matt Damon. Ding, she might be having uh, Billy Costigan's kid. Ding. (laughs) Done. That's all we need. That's all we need. And she does a better job than all three of those people combined in keeping the story moving. No disrespect to any of them as actresses. I think part of it also has to do with uh, given culture and stuff like that. You know, we talked about that a little bit in our our Mulan episode. Yeah, you know what? That's got to be his fiance. You know, uh, I think think that's important. The psychiatrist is a separate character because of the work dynamic. So I understand why they're separate in the original film. And I'm sure they got plenty more screen time to flesh everybody out in uh, the two other films. But this may be, in my opinion, one of the smartest things the remake does is making uh, the Madeline character one succinct person, and she gets to be sad about everything. She's sad about Mark Wahlberg being a piece of shit. She's sad about... Mark... uh... Matt
0: Damon? God. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Mark Wahlberg can be a piece of shit, so that does make me sad sometimes. Okay. (laughs) I got
1: it. Yeah, it's one of the smartest things that this remake does is consolidating everything into uh, Formiga here. Uh, Madeline gets the, gets the benefit of, she gets to be sad when Matt Damon turns out to be a piece of shit. She's a psychiatrist. She gets to be sad when um, Costigan gets killed. Like, her reaction to this sort of gamut of emotions and this idea that there's certain elements about her life that she's keeping secret from her boyfriend uh, that she just moved in with to make things work, right? She's kind of compromising with this guy who she thought was okay and maybe he's not as great as she thought. And then she, she's sort of attracted to the vulnerability of this other guy who sort of understands her and the reason why she needs a lie. And she's conflicted about these two different relationships. She's conflicted about who's actually the father of her child, although we pretty much know who it is. And, um, you know, she's trying to make things work, but when the bombshell of the movie about who Matt Damon is hits it hits a lot harder in this film i think because of the relationship to all characters Mm -hmm. involved on all levels versus like you know Lau's girlfriend being sad it is sad you know she's crying she's learned some bad news but to your point earlier in our discussion seems like they might be able to resolve that this is an unresolvable (laughs) problem in uh, the department
0: (laughs) yeah i'll start with uh Mary, Lao's fiance. Yeah, she is definitely the strongest of the three women in Infernal Affairs. Uh, I know it's a little bit cheesy that she's talking about her book. Like, I don't know if my main character's good or bad. I don't know what he's gonna do. But it does help anybody who's questioning it in the audience. Like, is is she talking about him? She's talking about Lao, right? <laughs> That's who she's talking about. So it does make his character less black and white and definitely more gray. Is he gonna be good? Is he gonna be bad? And is definitely or most likely explored in those later films. So she's good because she's able to at least, you know, keep that kind of uncertainty about his character. She's able to keep that going. The other two, yeah, you could take them or leave them. I, they didn't really do anything, especially the ex-girlfriend. I mean, she's there for like two minutes, maybe psychiatrist does a little bit more, but like, even then it's like, cause he was sleeping most of the time. I think he talked to her once, twice, and then, are they supposed to have, like, a strong relationship? Because they just talked a couple of times. So, it was just weak. The, the relationship's on Yan's um, side, for sure. And then you got Vera Farmiga just crushing it <laughs> in the Departed. It was, you know, it's a, probably a less believable thing to have her dating both of our lead cops. But, damn, it's interesting. And it really helps you as an audience member really just decide whose team you're going to be on because as she decides you're going to decide okay am i going to be with this kind of weasel liar who can't even get it up or is you going to take the the real good guy who's they got this passion growing between them and it's kind of um, forbidden love you know you see, Fucking people eat that shit up yeah it's just great and then just her portrayal in general is just really strong she's got a very subtle boston accent that i never really noticed until um uh, this rewatch and you know it's we were just talking about footloose before we started recording and it's, it's not definitely not that degree of like jesus where did that come from it's, it's just very small and, and she usually she only really brings it out, um, kind of when she's not at work. When she's like in the psychiatrist office, she she kind of changes her accents slightly. But then when she's out on a date with Matt Damon, I'll really notice um, right. that she's doing that accent. So just great character, uh, great portrayal. I got nothing but good things to say about what they did with the love interest in The Departed.
1: Yeah, and and having her get sort of the tapes and the information there, there's more weight to that. In the departed because, you know, she still works with the police department. So Great. you mentioned the sort of authority before is like what authority does uh, does Mary ha- have and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the psychiatrist in the last film, not nearly as much really here. Um, mm-hmm. Her direct connection to the police and the fact that she's dating a cop um, makes it very engaging when she gets this information because there's a lot of different ways they could have gone with that. Yeah, to your point, I just think, like, again, her accent work was, was fantastic. The back and forth, like, she kind of has some of these sort of witty back and forths with Matt Damon. But the conversations she has with uh, with DiCaprio are just deeper um, and more sort of related to their dynamic. And, it ele- again, like I said before, it elevates her because she's also, like you mentioned, whether it's the accent at work versus not at work, she's got her own secrets and things that mm-hmm. – uh at the end of the movie, she says, I thought I was the liar, <laughs> you know, like, uh, um, yeah, she has to lie about certain things in her life, and it makes her a compelling character. Mm-hmm. She, Like you mentioned, knocked it out of the park, uh, smartest consolidation I think I've seen in a remake in, uh, in some time, and I, I just thought it was a great portrayal.
0: Yeah, I got nothing to add, just uh, good job, good job, Vera. Yeah. All right, and then after that, we don't really have too many one-to-ones there's some characters in uh, Infernal Affairs, and the, but there's mostly characters in The Departed just because of the longer runtime. So I wrote down a bunch of characters from both films. I don't know if there's anybody specifically you want to talk about. I mean, I feel like we definitely got to talk about Alec Baldwin a little bit. We could even talk about Anthony Anderson because he is kind of important in the beginning yeah. and in the end. I mean, if you want to talk about Alec Baldwin, that sort of kind of goes along with... Uh, the superintendent chief chief of the IA. But he doesn't really do anything, so I don't even know if there's any real comparison otherwise just talking about Alec Baldwin's character.
1: I see in the notes that we have uh Wan Chi kun as uh, Officer Long, Chief Superintendent. That's basically what he is. He's a chief superintendent. He has, you know, some questions about the tracking of S. P. Wong, but, you know, not much yeah. outside of that. <laughs> Alec Baldwin is Captain George Ellery though, though kind of similar he's not doing that much he he has some really strong um scenes again from the angle of being a character actor he's he's fun to watch i don't know how much he actually brings to the film but like i did want to note that i thought he had a strong character just in the limited amount of screen time he had but even that like i'm trying to think of really what he did other than putting dingham on leave and uh Matt Damon was kind of off-kilter because he didn't know that they were doing the bust Mm -hmm. at the time. And he had to kind of think on the fly as to how to help Frank Costello out. It really is it for Alec Baldwin, too, though.
0: Yeah, he doesn't really do too much to drive the story forward. He's sort of there. Um, Introduction to the rogues gallery of who the villains are. Um, Mm -hmm. So we get a little bit of that. But, yeah, other than his interactions with Colin, I don't really think he does anything to sort of move things forward but again it's just another great memorable quotable character i mean he's a patriot act patriot act (laughs) he's a he's a fun character and you know when you think about it then you're like oh yeah he's really not too necessary but if you just go for the ride and just watch him on screen you're having fun i mean even when he's like Talking to Matt Damon when he's gonna get married, you know, it's like all the advice is getting. Oh, it's great that when you keep starting getting married, you know, it's uh He's he's just a great character, and he might not drive the story forward, but you know, is right. if you're gonna have an hour plus extra running time than the original, you might you better have good characters, and he's one of those good characters.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I, I got excited. I was like, yeah, he did so, l-. and then I thought about it. <laughs> well, he, uh <laughs> You know, he did the two weeks thing. I mean, he did the two you know. weeks thing.
0: He punched that one guy. Yeah. <laughs> can I kind talk to you for a second?
1: He loses his shit. Oh man, it's great. It's like, uh, yeah, oh, got to put. A, you didn't put a camera in the back? Oh okay. <laughs> yeah. And he, you know what he does do is it's atmosphere for the movie. The yeah. Same way Dingham is mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like he shows you what type of department we're running here. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's a serious operation. We are trying to take down mobsters, but like. Um, kind of one thing that this movie plays a lot with is, uh, you know, there's not really a lot of decorum in the uh, Boston Police Department as it were. Like, you might just get the shit kicked out of you by any uh, anybody, really, yeah. at any point in the day, and nothing's really going to happen to them. Uh, but, like, yeah, name another job where you just beat up your, uh, <laughs> your, your superior beat you up because you forgot to place a camera somewhere. Like, Well, that's going to happen in this situation. I, th- I thought Baldwin was was really strong and uh, even though it could get silly, like the amount of times people kind of just punch each other from, because they can't control themselves, it it's fun. It's fun. No, he he was great and yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> you know, he's good.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, these there's a, there's all these side characters in The Departed that don't really do anything, but they're just <laughs> they're 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 all right. They're there. Like you got I just go to sean costigan uh william's mm-hmm. cousin you know kevin corrigan playing him you know he does, he's got a really small role he's kind of this idiot fucking drug dealer he's just yeah really stupid and you know he, he just sort of wills introduction into the yeah. life of crime but you know again he's he's sort of a memorable character because he's he's not too stupid because he does before he does anything with Will uh, involving crime, he does ask him straight points, like, just just say the thing, I need you to say this thing. He's like, ah, I'm not a fucking cop, you know? So, it, which is funny, because like, oh, everybody knows this guy's a cop. <laughs> right. How is he getting away with it? So, you know, small role, but again, just memorable, you know, they wouldn't be Puerto Rican, you know? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
1: just oh, just great characters,
0: not really entirely necessary, but, Fun, great
1: characters. Yeah, yeah. No, like I said, this is just a display of some of the finest character acting I've ever seen. Even when one of the biggest weaknesses of the film is them trying to shoehorn this Inferno affairs plot into this kind of like Whitey Bulger esque story about crime in Boston in a certain time. It, I don't know, but like you said, like the Puerto Rican line that it's ridiculous. Honestly, uh, when these characters are being absolutely awful is when they're at their best (laughs) you know like i said all kinds of slurs and stuff like that thrown about but like it's just a fun ride and and given how long it is that pace is actually kind of crisp for a two and a half hour movie you know in terms of like characters that still sort of matter and i don't even remember the equivalent in the departed but like kong uh hans henchman in the original the kind of like goofball guy who Mm -hmm. has the Sort of equivalent scene of uh, how do you know if somebody's a cop? Well, if right. they're looking at you and pretending to do something else, they're a cop. I don't know if you remember the the guy in The Departed that does this.
0: I don't know the actors off the top of my head. Yeah, those those remember. guys have they have really small roles in The Departed, but they're still they're pretty memorable. Also, um, let me try to find the actors here. Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: Delahunt. So okay, Delahunt's yeah. Important.
0: So David O'Hara as Patrick Fitzy Fitzgibbons. And Mark Rolston as Timothy Delahunt. So those two guys are the equivalent for Coon and Del Piro in the Infernal Affairs. Again, really small roles in pretty much both films, but they sort of serve the same purpose. You get an insight into just what the other gang members are doing in their spare Mm -hmm. time. And they're coming up with like these silly things about like who's undercover and who's a cop and like that. Right. And, uh, you do have this moment with Kung and Delahunt where they sort of suspect who they're going mole is in their unit. So with Kung, it's a little more sort of naivete because he's mm-hmm. like, you know, we, I was told that whoever was there today was the mole. And I didn't tell anybody because I knew you were going to that masseuse. So I have one question for you. He's like, oh, man, this is he's, he knows who I am. It's like, no, I hope your masseuse is pretty. Because otherwise it wouldn't be worth it. So Kung's just like super naive. Like he set yeah. it up. Like whoever's not there today was the mole. And you weren't there today. Is she pretty? <laughs> like that was, that's right. where he went with it. As opposed to Del Hunt where he's like, yeah, I gave you the wrong address. And you still showed up. And he's like, tell me why I didn't tell. Tell me why I didn't tell. And you're like, why didn't he tell? Right. And you never really get an answer.
1: We don't get an answer. And it's like, it's simultaneously really strong and then simultaneously not, yeah. when you think about it. Because, like, it's, for Kuhn, you know, not revealing him, like you mentioned, one, it's because he is silly. But, you know, they're friends, you know? They're actually friends for, like, potentially 10 years. Probably not. Kuhn's probably newer. But, like, he didn't raise alarm. And, you know, the question is, is it just because he's that dumb? Or, you know, or is he trying to protect him? And I think it's a little bit of both. And it's a strong moment for an otherwise forgettable character. Whereas, like, Delahunt, it's, the reveal makes more sense. Like, the fact that, you know, it's the wrong address and everything, Mm -hmm. and and everything going on. But, like, Delahunt not telling everybody, like, while he's shot in the back of the van being like, this fucking guy, (laughs) I, you know, I gave him, he wasn't there, I gave him the wrong address. Like, he would have just done that, I think. Yeah. You know? to to your point like the the tell me why yeah tell me why actually because i'm not sure why that happened in this film
0: yeah that that was a another head scratcher it's just like it doesn't make sense and then you're like oh it's because he was an undercover cop but then immediately frank goes oh no they're just missing bomb and so we stopped looking for the rat so it's like Mm -hmm. okay so he's not even a cop why didn't he tell and then it's not like the uh infernal affairs where they're even close friends because you barely see will talking with anybody except he's mostly talking to frank and or mr french he's not really talking with these other guys so much so yeah i just have no idea why he didn't just rat him out right there if you think about it too much you're gonna be like yeah he just should have done that he would have done that it's it's in character to do that
1: yeah i think i think certainly so i mean the fact that they showed up somewhere and several of them were shot you know Mm -hmm. um it doesn't really track that he would still be able to speak about what happened and not say something about uh, Billy there. You know, it just, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, um, again, I think that is the biggest weakness of The Departed, like I was saying, is trying to shoehorn these equivalent scenes Mm -hmm. in a way that it doesn't track the same way. Like Coon being a grunt and not wanting to tell his boss maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. or boss friend, whatever you want to call it. That makes sense another guy who basically had been there for 10 years who just got shot because the new guy is a <laughs> fucking rat. Uh, and also given the fact that we know these guys will kill with impunity, it makes zero sense on the planet that he wouldn't tell. So, you know, tell me why, like you mentioned, we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. We'll never know why he didn't just say something there. And I assume because he was shot. That's the only explanation I have.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. I do I still yeah. definitely give points to Coon there, but when we're talking about Fitzy, is a fucking character. I like Fitzy. He's funny. <laughs> He's just... <laughs> I don't know. He's just this, this quirky character. Like, as soon as, like, he has to put Del Hunt's body into the, so he has to bury it in the marsh and then like the information that like, his body's found and he's actually an undercover cop and then fitzy's like oh, i can't believe it man you know it's, i can't believe it i fucking spent hours digging that body how the fuck did somebody find it out there? <laughs> yeah. and then frank's just like yelling at him like god for some fucking johnny somebody gets a fucking blow every thursday
1: and it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just yeah, it's a so, funny scene man it is so funny it's like character. Even when, like, 50's like, you know, he starts laughing. Yeah, yeah, he's laughing. Don't <laughs> laugh. Don't laugh. It's a <laughs> it reality TV. <laughs> Which is another crazy scene-chewing <laughs> moment. Oh, man, Nicholson was fun. Fun in that yeah. movie. And, yeah, that's the thing. Like, that's what this movie had. Mm-hmm. It took this, like, dark, gritty subject matter and found, like, some levity in what should really just be a uh, terrifying portrayal of like gangsters i don't know it kind of has that sort of goodfellas factor yeah um, definitely you know taking these monsters and making them sort of men in some ways you know uh it, fun but you know even when it's not working it still works because just the portrayals
0: yeah it's really heavy on the portrayals and you'd expect that from a scorsese it's and even though it is longer, it's got that fast pace. Uh, it's just something always is happening, so you're, mm-hmm. you're not bored um, at the longer runtime, and you're not—you don't spend too much time on a scene, so you're not questioning exactly what you just saw because we're already moved on to something just as exciting. So it's—it sure. it's able to kind of gloss over some of the issues that are definitely there.
1: Yeah, I definitely know what you mean, man. Like. Uh, you can start to scrutinize things if you start, <laughs> yeah. Trying to.
0: Are there any other characters you want to talk about? I mean, we have the undercover, other the second mole. Maybe we could just briefly talk about them. So we yeah, have, yeah, yeah. yeah in Infernal Affairs, Lava subordinate, um, Inspector B, portrayed by Gordon Lamb. and then we have Troopa Branigan in The Departed, portrayed by James Badge Dale really small character in both mm-hmm. films a little more fleshed out in the departed i actually feel like feel a little bit more bad for the one in uh, infernal affairs just because he's like <laughs> even though he's briefly on the screen like after he kind of reveals himself he's like you know i was in there too but like i was never as smart as you i could never be as good as you and sam never thought i could but you know i, I am i am I'm, so it's like he's got this chip on his shoulder that he's able to portray in a very short amount of time because after that he's, he's killed right away. So I felt bad for him. I never got that sense um, from Trooper Brannigan. He was just like, it's just me and you now. I mean, Frank was going to rat us both out to the FBI, but I never got any like resentment that Colin was picked over him or anything that he had something to prove to Frank that it was just like, Oh, oh, Frank thought he could pull one over on us. No, 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 no. We're going to take care of each other. And, uh, he ultimately is killed. I mean he does have more of a relationship um with Colin in the beginning of the movie when they're both trainees and going through it together, going against the firemen and rugby, you know, all that stuff. But um small characters. First time in the history of Fires <laughs> <laughs> Fireman getting pussy in the first history of Fires. Oh pussy. Yeah, I'll say
1: it. Oh, <laughs> uh, so good. It's a great great line. I mean from the jump. But yeah, to your point. That is more of sort of like a fake out in The Departed, because uh, the one thing I was thinking about re-watching Infernal Affairs was like, yeah, of course there's another mole, what the fuck? They said that in the first scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah.
0: Right. They definitely uh, broadcast it more in Infernal Affairs, just because there's more than one kid <laughs> that Sam's talking to, as opposed to The Departed. Yeah, there's a couple kids sometimes, but he's really just talking to Colin for a lot of right. it. So you're thinking, yeah, okay, there's just one mole here, but no, it, there's more, probably more than just the two even, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. If you think about it, yeah. So, which makes sense because, I mean, like, that's also sort of the premise of the film is that there's so many leaks coming out mm-hmm. of this police department. So, whether it's this years-long plan of, like, grooming a kid up or just, like, kind of, like, having somebody on the books, you know, Frank has his inside men. So, um, I think you're right. Like, uh, it is a more kind of sad story for uh, Officer B because he was like, yeah, you know, I couldn't do it, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it does allow for Lau to have a redemption in his arc versus sort of what we get with uh, with Sullivan, mm-hmm. um, as it were. I guess that just kind of... I think we did characters. I think that brings us into the ending, I yeah. think. Yeah.
0: Okay. So. so we'll talk about the ending. It's pretty much the same setup in both films. You got your undercover cop going to just out the rat. And he, they meet on the rooftop, and he kind of, like, unveils to him, like, I got all these recordings, and I'm going to arrest you. And then in the original, it's Inspector B who shows up on the rooftop while um, Yan has arrested Lao. And he's like, well, dude, don't you can trust me. I'm a cop. He's like, I don't know you. He's like, you know, you know I'm a cop. I'm a cop. It's going to be okay. I'm arresting him. You, you'll see. You'll see. But Inspector B's following the, him the whole time. <clears throat> And then right when the elevator opens, Yan's going to pull him in. And then, bang, a shot comes out of nowhere. You're not sure who did it or who got shot. But then you see that Inspector B actually gets Yan right in the head there. That's when he reveals himself. And then they're like, okay, I, I didn't know there was another rat. So, okay. But then they both go in the elevator together. You don't see anything, but you hear more gunshots go off as the police are waiting downstairs. And the only person that comes out is Lao. And then... The movie sort of wraps up at that point. And I think, like, Yan has his, like, big hero's funeral. And I think it's the psychiatrist who kind of reveals that Yan was a cop. Or was it Yan? Or was it Lau? I wasn't sure.
1: I don't think it was Lau. Actually, it's, uh... This is probably one of the weakest sides of the Inferno yeah. Is, uh... Basically, although the police records were deleted, someone found old records from the cadet academy it may have been a psychiatrist i don't really recall yeah. but more or less it's they just kind of as texts by the way say oh yeah uh, they found his uh, his old police record so he got a good funeral and um good to go all right yeah <laughs> hope you liked it <laughs>
0: yeah Um, it kind of wraps up things pretty fast in infernal affairs in text as you said you don't actually see anything happening and then it's just it does kind of end uh just going back to the beginning of the movie um when yan gets kicked out who wants to be like cadet yan here then you see instead of a young lao it's an it's an older lao saying still i do so he still admires yan very much and you're led to believe that he is going to really turn a new leaf at starting in the next movie I don't know. I'll find out. Yeah. That's pretty much how Infernal Affairs ends, though, right?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, versus, uh, well, one, I do have to say that what I what I like about that ending is just that idea that like Yan embodied this thing that Lao <clears throat> really wanted to be. Um, and maybe this is, like you mentioned, maybe this is his chance to, to finally be that guy, to be the good person, although he's had all these different lives uh, as a gangster, as a cop, as, you know, all that. In and, and we're a lot more hopeful about his uh his prospects. The departed. The departed. You kinda, kinda the same thing, but not like I, I Anthony c- Anderson comes out of fucking
0: Yeah, it's a little it's a lot cleaner in the original, for sure. Yeah, it is. Okay, so I'll I'll do my best here with the the departed. So it's the same thing. You got costigan gets calling up to the rooftop in a very satisfying scene where he just starts beating the shit out of him and i just remember seeing that in the theater people were cheering he was like shut the fuck up and people were just like, yeah yeah get that rat so it's nice and clean up until that point and then yeah we have anthony anderson who plays trooper brown who was a trainee with Costigan. he's the only guy he called why he didn't call dignum i maybe just gonna get reached of him i'm not sure he does mention like I told you to bring Dignam, I told you to bring Dignum. Anyway, so Anthony Anderson, they got the they got the standoff, and he's not sure if he should trust Cost again. He's like, You can trust me, you know me, you know who I am, you know who I am. He just keeps saying that to him over and over again. Mm. Trooper Brown's still following him. They're in the elevator. He actually makes it in the elevator in the departed. But as soon as that door opens, <clears throat> we get shot in the head by Trooper Brannigan. And then that's when everything's revealed, like you weren't alone, it was me. And then this is where things start to get a little bit messy because then you got Trooper Brown comes downstairs and immediately Trooper Brandigan shoots him. And then Matt Damon's like, give me the gun. And then he shoots Brandigan right there. So it's like you got these three deaths, one right after the other. And I remember watching that in theaters and everybody was just like, what is happening? It, I don't know what uh, <laughs> Scorsese was exactly going for with that, but it, it definitely came out a little more comical than i think he intended just because it was like one death after another another guy yeah. getting shot in the head and, and just remember people people in the theater just being like went from a gasp to like kind of chuckling by the time brandigan gets shot sure. um so yeah because you see them all kind of get shot within a minute at least in like infernal affairs you only see yan get shot and then you just hear um inspector b get shot so it's not as crazy or even accidentally comical as it is in the, yeah, party.
1: the It would have worked better, but I think, again, they were trying to keep sort of this Anthony Anderson character sort of clean, you know? Like, this movie really wants to delineate good guys and bad guys. Uh, there should be one less person yeah, um, in that scene. Definitely. He, I mean, like, just like in the original, there should be one less person in that scene. I get we introduced Anthony Anderson for, like, a few minutes at the beginning, and he's kind of in the office a couple of times throughout the film. He's not that important of a character. There's not really a reason to delineate the two. I mean, you could even have... Well, you can't because the way they wrote it. But, like, I don't know. Brannigan plus Anderson. Like, maybe you sacrifice Anthony Anderson's good guy role in this moment. Yeah. You know?
0: I think it would have been amazing. Because not only, you know, would it be, like, a great twist. But, you know, if the Irish Mafia has a black guy you know yeah. their mold like whoa like right. i didn't see that coming that would have been yeah. a really powerful turn there but we kind of added another character and made I, things a little muddy
1: yeah definitely definitely muddied the waters and yeah there's just too much even like when uh when matt damon sort of giving his readout and it was at that point that i discharged my firearm on <laughs> once it's like well, you shot him in like the side of the head how do you explain that you know like yeah the whole thing is just it's messy like he said and doesn't have to be uh even the fact that like like you mentioned dingham's not there and like why isn't he there like that's a question mark so yeah that that scene loses uh, some impact uh, mm-hmm. like i mentioned in Infernal affairs sort of the light bulb moment for me was, was saying well why didn't i think there was another mole because i saw that there was mm-hmm. so many before versus this movie where okay i wasn't expecting another mole but you know what <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: uh there's just so many deaths you know because in infernal affairs you got yan's death and you're just like whoa and you're able to kind of take that in like inspector b does get killed too but you don't see it so you're still really just thinking about yan and what happened but in the departed after costum gets shot you don't even get to process that because immediately anthony anderson gets shot and then immediately trooper banning gets shot so you're just like what am i supposed to be feeling i'm, I'm confused i think it was just right. too much and then just too quick too back-to-back to really allow you to process the impact of just yeah wow our lead really just got shot here okay
1: right right beyond that so you know once we get out of that scene uh and the last kind of good thing matt damon does is he does recommend costigan for like uh you know uh merit you know medal of merit or something like that which is cool uh, Vera Farmiga is still pissed at him. He's like, "Well, what about the baby?" <laughs> She's like, "I'm not talking." She to Melania you know. Trumps him. Just laughs his yep, head away. Totally, totally Melania Trumps him. Uh, and then he just sitting there looking goofy. And like, like we mentioned before, at this point, we the full arc for him, the undermining of this character has happened. And then we get another. Um, I think we need to start giving American audiences more credit uh, <laughs> to have Mark Wahlberg then show up, and you know. Shoot Matt Damon in this last scene. You know, he's in his apartment unexpectedly. Uh, he's got you know, gloves on. Looks like he's not going to get caught, basically. It's mm-hmm. what we're led to believe here. I guess retribution for this guy being kind of a piece of shit. But, like, uh, I remember by the end of this movie, my first walkthrough, being a little confused mm-hmm. about everything cause of, because, squarely, on these last five minutes. Like, right. uh, it really just. It goes into like this quick ending with multiple shootings of Wahlberg, the Damons, you know, Anderson, like the Cap, it's just too many people too quickly. There's not a lot of time digesting. It's all just over. So, you know, on subsequent uh, watching, just like this one, you know, I I got the story better in my head as it were, especially after watching Mm -hmm. Infernal Affairs. But like there's a few times in this remake where, as I mentioned before, by trying to like, Include some of these storylines, they confuse what they're doing, Mm -hmm. but you know, it works. It's just uh, a little too much at the end there. Yeah, it's yeah
0: exactly. Just going to your point, like, did we need to really kill Colin? Like, I like I get it. Like, people are gonna be pissed because you know we were the whole time. The movie's sort of holding your hand, like you're rooting for Costigan, you hate this guy. So yeah, of course. People are going to be pissed that, hey, the shitty bad guy's alive while the guy you were rooting for is now dead. But then just to have Mark Wahlberg come in there, it doesn't really give that satisfying, like, yeah, he, he avenged him. It's it's just sort of like, oh, another death. Okay, right. I guess I'm yeah. happy and not mad. I think you should have just let audiences be mad with the fact that Matt Damon got away with everything and just I- kind of had him, like, had, like, a shitty life because now his... Fiance with his unborn child doesn't want anything to do with him or maybe his unborn child, and right. just kind of have him have a shitty life, and that's just kind of it. Instead of like, oh yeah, I'm gonna come back and get you. I don't even know how uh, dignum would have known that like this guy is definitely the rat, and I'm just gonna kill him in cold blood in his apartment. It's like we skipped a lot of steps to get from like <laughs> Costigan's death to like now Mark Wahlberg is gonna shoot you in the head. Uh, I don't right. know. It was weird.
1: It was weird it doesn't really work and I think I think you're right like you kind of stopped right there at that funeral after she has nothing to do with him and however they wanted like you could literally like end there with the casket getting lowered you know yeah. and that's that's probably good enough in terms of uh, the movie or like he so. gave costing
0: gave her like a package and he said like if anything happens to me then you could open it you could just have her like some revealing information be in there so it's like you know the good guys are gonna win but we don't necessarily yeah. need to see Colin get shot randomly by Dignam. Yeah. I just think it was, especially after those two shootings before, or three shootings, I'm sorry, it was just, it felt like too much.
1: Yeah, yeah. I definitely remember, remember that from my original viewing, just being yeah. like completely overwhelmed by the amount of information I had to take in. Um, you're right. I think whether it was a, a recording or you know a file, something like that I think would have been... A cleaner ending for the movie. Um, I think this movie is too preoccupied with trying to satisfy the viewer by making things cut and dry. Right. Uh, Infernal Affairs, like, yeah, am I upset that what happened to Jan? Yeah, sure, but it's it's a clean enough exit point for this Mm -hmm. character where you know maybe he'll change his ways and you know that that's about all I needed you know to be satisfied here. I guess. Again, even having Matt Damon recommend him for this this merit thing, it, yeah, th- I guess that's important. Um, they that at least recognize not to be a complete piece of shit in that moment. But uh, it doesn't do much for us as an audience when he's going to be dead 20 seconds later. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, another one of the rare sort of missteps. I don't want to say rare because there's a few missteps right. in this film, but... Uh, Another one of those sort of glaring missteps in, the, in this movie.
0: Yeah, I never really liked the ending of The Departed. Yeah. The ride's fun, but the end was always a little... just felt forced and sloppy. Yeah, I agree. All right, I mean, I don't really have too much to talk about. I did briefly just want to talk about the music, mostly the music for The Departed soundtrack. Um, sure. You watched Sopranos? I watched The Sopranos, yeah. You, you finished it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, because... I just wanted to talk about the music, because there, there is some there's good tunes in here. You know, we opened up with some Rolling Stones, and then we got, like, some John Lennon in here. Then we got Comfortably Numb, not by Pink Floyd, but, like, Roger Waters and Van Morrison. I just... I brought up Sopranos because <laughs> the Departed soundtrack is the last thing that Chris Maltesanti was listening to in his, in his car when he got in that accident that Tony had to take him out. He's like, yo, you like it, Tony? It's the Departed soundtrack, so I just... <laughs>
1: <laughs> because no, I like the Sopranos i following the journey yeah, yeah. yeah
0: So I just had to mention That it's, it's a solid soundtrack
1: <laughs> it, it is a solid soundtrack um, I mean I mean shipping up to Boston I didn't even mention I, that <laughs> Exactly Because uh, What stood out to me Even before I saw the film Was the trailer for The party. Was like That was the thing That's one of the reasons This movie was so successful I, I can't think of uh, Many trailers that Captured the imagination Like that did They had that shipping up to boston just playing in the background nicholson dicaprio like it you know that song sort of defined <laughs> uh the moment when like people were like oh yeah we're gonna go see this movie yeah. um and it works really well in the film too
0: yeah it's, it's a perfect song for the film
1: Oops. yeah no no uh no arguments there
0: all right i mean uh other than that i, I don't know if there's anything else you can think of yeah. Uh, to talk about. Uh,
1: I guess if I had to make a note uh about the music in the original that ballad um that they listened to sort of uh when they're selling the stereos and stuff like that like that that was cool. I liked that it came back. I liked that mm-hmm. the uh that it was included in the recording um that was given to Mary at the end. So I don't, you know, again, I'm just not familiar with uh with you know, Chinese culture and music and stuff like that. But uh, I remember that being Kind of like, I liked the song and I liked how it was used in the film as well. So yeah, um, that's true. That's really the really only music note I have from that film. Yeah.
0: All right. Um, is there anything else about either film you want to talk about, or you think it's verdict time?
1: I think it might be verdict time.
0: I think so too, Reggie. All right, here we go. Verdict time. Reggie, should the remake of Infernal Affairs, The Departed, exist?
1: start uh let's put it this way the movie should exist now um often when you do films like this it's it's hard like uh i think we ran into this a little bit with um insomnia in in terms of changes to a movie that changed the movie you know um i think that the departed sticks with the storyline clean enough and in my opinion is more of a translation of, of uh, a story versus, like, a remake, you know, in, in the sense that they took this storyline and did mo- mostly the same thing while adding, like, really, really, really strong character acting um, that lets me forgive some of the things that I would normally call sins mm. <laughs> in these types of remakes. And, uh, look, I think they had to do that because people need to understand the dynamic of the police force in America to really follow the storyline. And I think by attaching it to, like, this charismatic sort of mobster, and I think Americans are used to charismatic mobster leads in films, I think they really elevated this particular film. And this was a, a fine homage to the original film. There's some there's some issues with the translation. You know, getting the FBI involved was another layer too far, like we mentioned with the deaths at the end. They started to kind of lose their um, their footing a little bit. But I would say... The combination of DiCaprio, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, Matt Damon, uh, Alec Baldwin, and so many other c- characters, they just, they made this really funny, gritty movie that I'm glad that um, exists, deserves the Oscar, um, I think, at the time, and uh, it's a strong movie with some uh, with some flaws that hold it back, but overall, it works.
0: Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you. I Coming into this, I've had a pretty strong feeling, I would say, that a party should exist. I mean, I, I love the movie. I've watched it so many times. i quote quoted all the times with my friends. And, uh, you know, watching Infernal Affairs definitely did sort of shine some light on the weaknesses and The Departed, just some of the changes they made that really don't work, and, you know, in our discussion, just really discovering, yeah, that doesn't really work, but the character's so good that I really didn't care at a certain point. So, that is really the strength of The Departed, just the the characters. They are so good, they're so memorable, they're so fun, and it's an enjoyable ride. And, you know, it's really dangerous when your movie is an hour longer than the source material, but, you know, it's Scorsese, so, in pretty good hands he is able to make it flow pretty well to the point where you yeah you're really not bored or just like rolling your eyes until you get to that ending really uh, but yeah infernal affairs definitely is a tighter package it's a cleaner package and uh definitely has i'd say uh, even though it's kind of rushed at the end i'd say it's definitely the stronger ending but i just really like the characters so much in departed and like it's just and, you know, that, vi- that violence that Scorsese, like, is able to portray on films just to raise the threat level, it's 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 great. And uh, I enjoy the ride wholeheartedly, even though it has many flaws.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, as sort of an addition to my review, say that um, that can help movies. Like, look, taking a big risk like that, like the runtime, that's a risk. That's something mm-hmm. that they didn't necessarily have to do because the story was already written for them. But, uh Again, that's why I think I use the word translation, because he made it his own film, even though he's drawn from this original. So, uh, Strength to Scorsese, uh, a flawed but very, very strong film.
0: Yeah. Also, just want to point out, I don't know if it's true anymore, but when it won the Best Picture Oscar, it was the highest... <laughs> the. It was a picture that won. It was a movie that won Best Picture with the highest use of the word "fuck" in it. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there. No other movie had said it as many times and won the Best Picture Oscar. So, there you go. <laughs> There's some little bar trivia for you. Fair enough. Nice. All right. Cool. Yeah, I've had a feeling that we would both be like, "Yeah, this movie should exist because it's it's
1: The Departed." For God's it's sake. <laughs> can't go wrong.
0: Yeah, it can't go wrong at all. You know what's crazy? When this episode comes out, it's going to be past the election, dude.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, speaking of that, I mean, I know we uh, we didn't really get a chance to talk about this. This week has been a absolute... This is insanity. <laughs> this is actually insanity. You know, if it wasn't the president of the United States, uh, it'd just be like... I mean, even with it being a president, it's like, you're a fucking idiot, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard someone make a great metaphor about it. It'd be like a guy who—oh uh, no, I think it was on SNL actually. Where it's like if I was yelling about like uh, people wearing like belts being like pussies or something like that, and then like my pants fell down. Like, that's, <laughs> like like you know it's like you hope the guy's okay, but like they're they're not telling us the truth right now. I know. No. And it's bad that we're getting more information about the health of the president of the United States do Twitter and TikTok (laughs) than we are the actual you know White House this is a weird fucked up time
0: alright we'll cut that out (laughs) yeah yeah. Uh, do you uh, do you have any ideas for what we should do for the next episode
1: (laughs) I don't actually yeah I'm looking do not think that far ahead yeah I mean like uh, a comedy makes sense here and then maybe we'll try to do something Christmassy yeah
0: alright I was looking at a comedy right now let me know how you feel about the nutty professor why not why not (laughs) not? not? eddie and jerry lee cool all right so next episode of the nutty professor (laughs) all right all right (laughs) here we go why not why not okay cool well thanks for listening everybody uh Let us know what you thought. Has anybody seen the other two Infernal Affairs movies and can maybe shed some light on some of the things that we weren't exactly sure about? Uh, Greatly appreciated. But other than that, we are Retro vs. Remake. You can find us at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at Retro vs. Remake.
1: I'm Reggie Parker. At RP Commie on Twitter and Instagram.
0: And I'm Dan (laughs) Buellick. This has been another episode of... Retro, Retro versus, versus remake. Remake. The potted edition.
1: <laughs> Shipped up to Boston. All right. Whoa.